to be with you this morning and to bring you God's word, a word of hope and a word of joy. If you've been with us the last several weeks and you know that we're in the midst of our fall sermon series in the book of Philippians, why don't you go ahead and turn there now? We'll be planting ourselves in Philippians chapter four today. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been taking it verse by verse, just kind of soaking in this love and friendship filled letter, a letter of unity and joy. And it was written by Paul while he was on vacation in Greece. No, actually, no, he was in prison. He was in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter of joy and peace and hope. And as we journey verse by verse together, our hope is that we would, we would really enter in to this story, that we would place ourselves there as individuals and as a community, that we would let Paul's word speak to us today, here and now, in a way that we can rejoice in and have hope in. And we would also let the spirit of God work and transform us in ways that, bring hope to our hearts, to our neighbors, to our city and across the globe. And what a journey it has been. So let's press on family, let's do this. Get those Bibles ready. And if you've missed any of these sermons, I encourage you to go back to our YouTube channel and check those out. Get caught up if you want. And again, I wanna remind you that today's word for us is about hope. It's about rejoicing. And it's about letting our worries fall to the side. That's a good word for us today, don't you think? So let's go to God's word together. Today we'll be picking up in chapter four, verses one through nine. I will be reading from the NRSV. This is the reading of God's word. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Uyodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. yes. And I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. And as we say together every week, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for this message. I almost feel like we could say an amen right now and just let that be the sermon because what a beautiful word to us today about rejoicing and not worrying and praying and God's peace. Now, I don't know what resonated for you as I read that verse, but there's a lot of worry going on right now, isn't there? I know that there is a lot of grief. There are heavy things in our church family 
There's stresses and fears, and we are holding a lot. And God has a word of hope for us today in the midst of all of that. Now, before we get to that word of hope, I want us to, to go back to verse one. It's got some good stuff too, but we're gonna pack some, a little deeper of a hope later. Let's take, take a second, go back to verse one. <laughs> we're familiar with this, you guys. Therefore, verse one, therefore. What's it there for? <laughs> we know this. We got to look. What was, what was Paul saying to them before? So last week, Drew unpacked uh, chapter three, where Paul is encouraging the church to set their minds on the future, but maybe not in a way that you would think. Now that you should set your minds on a perfect future, but rather you are future perfect. So set your minds on that. Drew gave us another way we could interpret verse 15. I really love this. Set your mind on the future perfect reality that God has accomplished from an eternal perspective. This is what Paul is trying to drive home for this community. He's asking them to stand firm in that, that future hope. And this is the thread that we see kind of woven throughout this letter to mind our mind. We could put it another way, to think about what you're thinking about. Are you putting on the mind of Christ in your thought life? We're gonna go deeper with that theme. But let's go back to the text and take a look at verse two. Verse two, I urge Uyodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Here we see a specific shift to a relational conflict. Finally, in this love-soaked letter, these leaders are gently and lovingly called out publicly. There was some kind of conflict going on that we don't really know the details about and maybe that's not what's important here. But Paul is urging them to come together, to remember what unites them, to remember what joins them, to remember what the foundation is of their community, Christ, Jesus Christ. They didn't have to have the same opinion on everything. This wasn't about agreeing on everything. This was a comment to remember what united them. What was Christ doing in and through them as a church, as a community? Paul's saying to them, approach one another with the same mind to serve one another like Jesus served you, to come together again. Remember Jesus. Recall the good news. Let that unite you. Now, I know some of you might be thinking right now, oh, that's a good word for us today, Rebecca. Right? The church is very familiar with conflict. We have a long history of division and arguments. We fight over things like, and we still do, baptism, the Eucharist, the role of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, Whew, the councils, the schisms, the uh, her heresy accusations. Oh my! I had a class in seminary called, listen to this, the church's understanding of the church, humanity, and the Christian life and its historical development. That was actually seriously what it was called. And it was a history class, but I feel like a better name could have been church, 2000 years of arguing and some good stuff. <laughs> we know conflict, don't we? History, but present too. Paul's reminding them and reminding us today in the midst of our disagreements to not lose sight over what unites us. Jesus, hear me. I do believe that there's such a thing as healthy conflict. And I know some people are really squirmish about that, 
But we would do well, I think, in this moment to learn how to, to have conflict in a healthy way, a loving way. But too often we forget what the bedrock of our faith is. Too often we forget what unites us. Too often we forget what's the blood life of the hope that we profess, the saving and redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Paul says, approach one another. In the midst of your arguments, approach one another with the mind of Christ. Have the same mind, the same attitude, the same posture of Jesus. Humility, self-sacrifice. And then see how your conversation might change, how the tone of it might change, how the result might change. We've got a lot of grumbling and arguing these days, right? And Paul actually calls it murmuring in chapter two. Do you guys remember that? Murmuring, a lot of kind of complaining under our breath about things. And we're fearful and we're worried. And these things are consuming our relationships and our minds. Same was true for the church in Philippi, or at least between Uyodia and Syntyche. And yet Paul commends them, urges them, commands the church to one, first have the same mind as Christ, and then second, found in verse four, rejoice. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. How many of you remember that song? And I'm dating myself a bit. How many of you remember that song? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, clap, clap. <laughs> right? Do you remember that song? I mean, that was a good one. Dan and Jameson, we need to get that one back. Rejoice in the Lord always. Really, Paul? Doesn't that sound a little tone deaf in the midst of conflict? Doesn't that sound a little uncaring in the midst of worry and fear? But Paul in his prison cell writes this. Have we mentioned he's in prison? Can you imagine Paul, right? First century prison, like not a lovely place. And he likely would have been uh, just speaking and he would have been dictating to a scribe. Somebody would have been taking down notes, what he's saying to them. I feel like he's kind of preaching in his cell. And there's just this moment of rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Can you imagine Paul in that moment, that preacher coming out in him? Because this letter would have been read. As you're hearing it, they would have heard it. So do you think that maybe, maybe the church in Philippi needed a word encouraging them to rejoice? Because if someone's rejoicing, you don't need to tell them to rejoice. So, and this is the third time they've been told because they were told in chapter three as well to rejoice in the Lord always. I think there was probably not a lot of rejoicing going on. We know seasons like this, don't we? We know seasons where it may, might feel a little hard to rejoice. When was the last time you really celebrated? Now, I know that we've, we're coming out of a pandemic still a little bit. The last year and a half has been a little rough. You know, weddings kind of were on you know, hold, but now things are opening up again. Weddings are happening. Some celebrations are happening. I went to a wedding recently, and it was the best thing ever going to this wedding. I could not get off the dance floor, especially when like Whitney Houston came on. Dance with somebody, right? People were looking at us like, don't those people work at a church? 
<laughs> it was so fun. We had a reason to celebrate. And Paul is reminding us today that you have a reason, probably the best, the truest reason to celebrate, to rejoice. As Christians, let's just be honest for a second. Are we known for our celebrations? Or when we walk through the door, do we kind of sort of take it down a notch? Like, ooh, okay. Do you know anybody who really has that rejoicing spirit, that joy? I was thinking about this, and actually there are some people in our church family that came to mind. Christina Bradford, amazing. Max McManus, amazing. Bob Tilly, <gasps> Tina Russick. Can I get an amen for Tina Russick? These people emulate joy. These people have a celebratory spirit in them that's not contingent, that's not reliant on their circumstances. None of them have had an easy life. They will tell you about grief and loss and pain. And even in the midst of it, they have maintained a rejoicing because they know their savior. And they cling to that redeeming work of Jesus. Paul is saying here, come on church. You've got a reason to celebrate. Come on church. Even if things aren't going well in your life, like you can still rejoice in the Lord. The one who's unchanging has changed everything. Rejoice. Has Christ changed things for you? Rejoice. Have you found a new hope, a new life in Jesus? Rejoice. God has entered into your life, your heart, your world. Rejoice. God has given you a purpose to help and heal and do his redeeming work in this world. That is something that we can rejoice in. Can I get an amen, church? I can hear you even if you're at home. Rejoice. And yet, in our rejoicing, Paul reminds us again of our attitude. He reminds us of our posture and approach with one another. Verse five, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Gentleness? It's a little jarring at first, right? Aren't you like, wait, Paul, can you use something that's more in your vernacular? Like, can you, grace, joy even, love, like those things. But Paul says gentleness. Would you be described as gentle? As a people in this moment, as a culture, would we be described as gentle? Do you have any resistance to that word? So, come in, enter in for a second. I'm gonna be vulnerable here. I don't know that I would really be described as a gentle person. (laughs) And reflecting on this, just have this, this honest moment with the Lord. I mean, passionate, yes. Strong, yes. Fun, yes. Loving even but gentle, I need the Holy Spirit to do a work in me on that. 
How about you? Let your gentleness be known. Be known. A lot of us want to be known, right? Like we want our, our name out there, our stuff out there. We want to be known. But do we want our gentleness to be known? And the text says everyone. Not just people you love, not just people you, you work with or go to church with or who vote like you or make as much money as you do. It's like, no, everyone. You know what's interesting about this, ironically? Sometimes like the people we're closest to experience our, the least amount of gentleness from us. Married couples, can I get an amen? Or rather a help me Jesus. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> We need some help with our gentleness, don't we? Oh. So, so Paul gives us a reason to rejoice. Paul reminds us to be gentle. But now he offers us an opportunity regarding our anxiety. Verse six, do not worry about anything. Other translations say, do not be anxious about anything. Now, if you're like me, and you've ever experienced some anxiety as a Christian, then you know this verse, right? You're probably saying it with me from memory at home. Raise your, friend if you, raise your hand if you have ever sent this text to a friend. And I probably sent this to three people last week. This is one of those Bible verses that we all keep kind of in the Rolodex of scripture that we know, and we pull it out, you know, because while well, we worry, right? We know worry. So we have this memories, do not worry. Don't be anxious about anything. Anxiety is a common human condition. Christians get anxious. Paul experienced anxiety. Paul just mentioned his own anxiousness in chapter two, verse 28. We have it on record, Paul, you said it. Quote, that I may be less anxious, end quote, regarding his friend. Paul knows, God knows. We're humans, we'll be anxious, we will worry, we will have things in life that deeply concern us and we will have this tendency to wanna to kind of sit there and dwell there and chew on our anxieties. It wasn't just Paul who was anxious. The psalmist is anxious. In the common English Bible, it says this, Psalm 139, 23, examine me, look at my heart, put me to the test, know my anxious heart. Mary and Joseph had anxiety as parents. Luke 2, 4, 48, Jesus, Jesus's mother says to him, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Anxiously searching for you. Jesus was anxious in the garden. Again, from the CEB, Matthew 26, 37 says, he began to feel sad and anxious. Mark 14, 33, he began to feel despair and was anxious. Others use words like deeply distressed or troubled. The message translation says this of Christ in this moment, he sank into a pit of suffocating darkness. Jesus was well acquainted with worry. Fully God, fully human, he knows. And I hope that you find some comfort in knowing that God has experienced what you're experiencing. I heard someone say once, I don't struggle with anxiety. Comes naturally. Is that you? If it's not you, it is definitely someone you know and probably someone close to you. 
And if you're with them right now, I want you to give their hand a squeeze. The last 18 months or so have been filled with worry. And this is where I would normally drop a bunch of statistics for you on like how anxiety is off, you know, off the charts in the United States and how hard it's been as a culture. But the thing is, I already know that you know. You know that it's been hard. Most people have dealt with some sort of anxiety, okay? Even our beloved ball of joy, Ted Lasso. Where are my diamond dogs at? Ted, ah. Everybody just relax your jaw for a second, okay? Like shake it out for a minute. Now, when you hear that phrase, do not worry about anything. How do you hear that tone? How do you hear God's voice? If you have grown up in the church and we've all come from different backgrounds, some of our new believers, some have been Christian for 50 years, you are probably acquainted with some parental imagery associated with God. We see it in the Bible. But this presumes a healthy association with our, our parents, what, what, what kind of upbringing we had. And on the other hand, if you had an unhealthy or unavailable parent, this image can be difficult. If you were shamed as a child, you might experience God's voice in a shaming or angry way. Let me just tell you, friends, this is not God's voice. God does not shame you. It's not, do not worry. It's do not worry. I know. I'm with you. God's voice is a voice of love and compassion. Anything that is not that is not God. We love John 3.16, don't we? It's another one of those from our Rolodex of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But do you know John 3.17, the verse that comes right after 3.16? Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Saved. This word for us is one soaked in love and compassion. Don't worry. Paul is communicating God's heart towards us. He's saying, don't succumb to the hamster wheel of what ifs and how comes and if onlys. Many of us get hung up on our pasts. We play out conversations that really went wrong or relationships that just kind of ended poorly, bad choices that we made. We live with regrets, recalling painful memories over and over again. And sometimes those things seem to haunt us. And some of us carry a deep worry about the future. We get caught up in a cycle of worry about our kids, our jobs, our finances, and it feels bleak. That's my category. And some of us are overwhelmed with present needs. We are navigating how to care for aging parents, dealing with the loss of a loved one, how to treat a cancer diagnosis, unable to see a way through. It's heavy. So in this moment, there are countless things that we're dealing with, things that are real and painful. And so I want you to hear this. Do not worry. Do not be anxious is not a word of shaming. It's a word of saving. I'm going to say that again. Do not worry. 
is a word of saving, not of shaming. And it's also not saying don't feel your feelings. It's definitely not saying that. It's saying take your feelings to God. Rich Vialotis, an author and pastor out of Brooklyn, makes a great point when he says this. The same Bible that tells us to rejoice also has a book called Lamentations. We don't have to choose one from the other. Good, healthy Christian faith is non-dualistic, able to hold multiple tensions together. I just love that. Life is not one or the other, is it? It's all of it. It's joy and sorrow and everything in between. All you need to do is go look at the Psalms, 150 chapters of anything and everything you could probably feel. It's there. So understanding that we will have worries, Paul offers us a word of salvation from our worry and then gives us a way to counter it. We hear this in verse six, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God wants to know it all. God wants us to lay it all out there, put it at his feet. There's nothing too small. God wants to hear it all. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Psalm 103 says, God crowns you with steadfast love and compassion. Compassion, not condemnation. As human beings existing in this world with other human beings, we're gonna have some hard times. We're gonna have broken relationships, broken emotions, broken bodies. And this is a reminder that we're not alone in any of it. I love this reflection from mid-century pastor and author, Howard Thurman. He struggled with some anxiety and had a great and deep relationship with the Lord. And I wanna read this to you. Listen to a word or phrase that stands out to you in this reading. God is present with me this day. God is present with me in the midst of my anxieties. I affirm in my own heart and mind the reality of his presence. He makes immediately available to me the strength of his goodness, the reassurance of his wisdom, and the hardiness of his courage. My anxieties are real. They are the result of a wide variety of experiences, some of which I understand and some of which I do not understand. One thing I know concerning my anxieties, they are real to me. Sometimes they seem more real than the presence of God. When this happens, they dominate my mood and possess my thoughts. The presence of God does not always deliver me from anxiety, but it always delivers me from anxieties. Little by little, I'm beginning to understand that deliverance from anxiety means fundamental growth and spiritual character and awareness. It becomes a quality of being, emerging from deep within, giving to all the dimensions of experience a vast immunity against being anxious. A ground of calm underlies experiences, whatever may be the tempestuous character of events. This calm is the manifestation in life of the active, dynamic presence of God. Do you remember the other half of verse five? The Lord is near. Jesus is near. Christ is present in your worries. 
When the shadow of your past haunts you, Christ is near. When the anxieties of your life come banging at the door, Christ is near. When lies overwhelm you and try to drown out the truth, remember Christ is near. Do not worry about anything, but believe and proclaim the truth that God is with you, God is for you, and God will never leave you. Remember, Paul says in the midst of our worry, in everything, in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's something here about voicing our worries and concerns, having them heard and known and held by a loving God that helps counter our worry. I wanna try and invite you to, to experience a prayer practice. Um, it's literally just written out for us with Paul. I want us to practice this. Your prayer could look like this in three parts. One, know my anxious heart. Psalm 139, 18, know my anxious heart. Pray about what is keeping you up at night. What are you wrestling with? It, I've heard it said, if you're not speaking it, you're storing it. Some of you might be thinking, I already do this. I wanna say, good, keep doing it. But get that stuff out. Just be real and raw before the Lord. That's step one. Step two, please help. That is the, the petitioning and the supplication part. That's what makes it unique. A supplication or a petition is a, is a prayer that's asking for help. God, help. I need your assistance. Come in, help us. And some of you also might be thinking that that's what I'm doing. And I want to say, keep entering into that. There is a, a really beautiful children's book by Charlie Mackesy. Some of you may have heard of it. It's called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. And it's just this really lovely journey that they take together. And there's this exchange between the boy and the horse. And here's what it is. It says, what is the bravest thing you have ever said? Asked the boy. Help, said the horse. When have you been at your strongest? Asked the boy. When I have dared to show my weakness. Asking for help isn't giving up, said the horse. It's refusing to give up. Asking for help is refusing to give up. Ask the Lord for help. And three, this is what makes this practice a little bit hard, maybe a little bit new for us. Three is a prayer of thanks. Gratitude in the midst of our worries and fears and anxieties, we say, thank you, God. We look over our lives and we reflect, where have you been faithful? Where have I seen your goodness? Thank you, God. There's something about gratitude and thanksgiving that can counter our anxieties. Another thing I want you to encourage to try in this prayer practice is to give some outward physicality to this very interior exercise. I want you to try holding out your hands and make a fist. I want you to envision your worries, your fears, your anxieties, you're holding on to them. And in this prayer, slowly open your hands and give them to God and picture God taking them off of you. But you're not left with, with open, empty hands. God wants to fill it with good things. And Paul gives us those things that we're gonna fill our hands with, fill our hearts with, fill our minds with. When he says in verse eight, 
beloved, whatever is true. Whatever is true. Think about these things. And he he gives us a list, which we'll get to. But whatever is true. What do you know to be true about God? Jesus said about himself, I am the truth. Jesus says about us, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Christ knows that we are held captives, captive to lies, that we can easily be enslaved to deceit about God, about ourselves, about the world, about other people. What does God say is true about God's self? God is near. God is not condemning. God is full of hope. God is love. God is in the business of restoration and redeeming work. And what does God say is true about you? You are loved. You belong. You are forgiven. You have hope. And I know it can be hard for us to accept these truths. I know it can be hard to to counter that inner critic that can be so loud sometimes. You know, I heard it said once, and it's always stuck with me. I will probably reference this the rest of my life. Don't believe all the things you tell yourself late at night. Don't believe all the things you tell yourself late at night because they aren't the truth. Beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We didn't become anxious overnight, did we? I mean, maybe some of us like really quickly, but we didn't, this usually isn't like an over the night kind of thing. It took shape and grew over time slowly in our thought life, giving more time and attention and energy to these thoughts. And it's gonna take some practice to undo these thoughts. If you've put on a little weight, (laughs) the reality is that that probably didn't happen overnight. You know, it wasn't after one night of indulging at your favorite fill-in-the-blank restaurant. No, it was days and likely weeks, maybe even months of taking a little bit too much. How many of you took a little bit too much alcohol over the last 18 months? You know, the consumption's been up a little bit. And it will take daily steps to undo that. We'll have to be intentional about considering what we're taking into our bodies, changing some of those habits. It's not just removing the carne asada burritos, Mike Morgan, but it's also replacing them with better choices. I believe Paul is encouraging us to consider our mental diet. He's encouraging us to be intentional about what feeds our minds. What are you taking in? Is it life-giving? Does it reflect the mind of Christ? What's the diet of your mind? Paul is saying, choose wisely, choose wisely. Now, let me be clear, this is is not the power of positive thinking. This is not just, you know, think positive thoughts. This is practicing a new and genuine way of thinking. To think about what you're thinking about. To mind your mind. Putting on the mind of Christ. We ask, does this resonate God's truth? With Jesus as the lens through which I'm looking, Is this praiseworthy? 
The truth of God found in the person of Jesus liberates us. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. My peace I give you. I am always with you. What else would you add to this list? Would the mind of Christ name something true? Thinking of Jesus, would you name something just? Name something pure? Dwell on these things, consider these things, soak in these things. And after you've given your worries to God, take on these praiseworthy things. Paul wrote this letter as an encouragement to a people that were discouraged. They were fearful and worrisome. And this word is a fresh and timely one for us today, I think. Rejoice, Jesus is near. Don't worry, pray, practice gratitude, meditate on life-giving things and God's peace will be with you. These words speak to the inner chaos in our hearts and minds that at times will afflict us all. These words encourage us as Christ followers to examine our interior world, to surrender our anxious thoughts, to avoid things that are not life-giving, to remember that we've got a loving and compassionate God and to consider what is feeding our thought life. We need to remember to act like a people who have something to celebrate. We can always rejoice because the reason for our rejoicing is Jesus, not our circumstances. And remember, the peace of Christ will be with us in ways that we will not understand. The peace of Christ will steady us when the waves of worry come. The peace of Christ will anchor us when the storms of anxiety blow through. It's the peace of Christ that will calm and assure us that it is well with our souls. May the peace of God and the God of peace be with us all in ways that we don't understand. And may God's presence be felt in deep and compassionate ways. And may we remember to rejoice in that truth always. Will you pray with me? Loving and compassionate and holy God, we thank you. We thank you for this reminder to rejoice, to give our worries to you, to trust in your love for us, that your word to us is not shaming, but saving. God, I pray that we would remember gratitude in our prayers to you. I pray that we would take on the mind of Christ and experience your peace in ways that are beyond human comprehension. God, I pray that you would guard our hearts and minds, that you would, you would protect us from thoughts that haunt us in the night, that we would cling to the truth of who we are and whose we are, your beloved children. God, so may we hear that word, do not worry, as your invitation to live in a different way. In your name we pray, amen.